So I was going to uh, talk about uh, today is, um, are we ready for the Lord's return? I think it's going to happen maybe sooner than we think. You know, I came to the Lord about uh, 48 years ago. Um, I was still at boarding school and um, I uh, met up with a friend that I'd grown up with in, uh, in Downer, which is where the family lived originally, uh, who invited me to a meeting. And um, he told me he went to some weird church uh, I'd never heard of called the, uh, the Canberra Revival Centre, as it was then. I thought he'd lost it when uh, he talked about the Holy Spirit and, uh, and speaking in tongues, which he said was the evidence when you, you got when you received the Holy Spirit. I mean, my experience of, uh, of church was um, going to Sunday school in the Church of England when I was a young boy because my mother made me, but I found it dull and uninteresting, so I quit as soon as I could. Um, and I guess this coloured my whole idea of, uh, of church generally. So, um, so when this friend of mine invited me uh, along, I thought I'd uh, rescue him from the clutches of what I thought was a, you know, a cult. And um, you know, it was a very arrogant attitude, really was. You know, I wasn't prepared for what I experienced there, you know, up in, uh, in Hackett. You know, people actually enjoying themselves. You know, singing upbeat choruses, uh, you know, they had Bibles on their laps with, uh, you know, notes written in the margins, so they were really very active, actively participating. I mean, that was unheard of in the, uh, in the Church of England. It was a case of here beginneth the lesson, here endeth, and that's it. And you sort of go home. You know, now I'm a pastor. Go figure. You know, they, they showed me scriptures, like the one that uh, Arthur mentioned in his, uh, his testimony there, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he said, that his followers would receive power when they received the Holy Spirit. You know, in the, in the Church of England, I never received any power. It was dead and, and such a wasted opportunity. It really was. You know, coming to church and looking forward to it is, is such a, a wonderful experience here in this church. It is, it is great. When I received the Holy Spirit, it changed my life. And... Um, you know, a relationship with God is, is such a fantastic thing. It's incredibly fulfilling. Amen? Amen. You know, access to prayer, blessings, um, healings, protection from harm. I mean, the list goes on and on of what the Lord does in our lives. It's just amazing. I mean, I mean when you speak in tongues, it's a direct communication with God. You know, I was introduced to people uh, who'd been miraculously healed. You know, one lady had uh, emphysema which the doctors say uh, is incurable. Um, others with chronic back pain, uh, which made them totally incapacitated. Um, all of them made hold and restored uh, to full health. Yeah, it was such an amazing thing and, and had a huge impact on my early walk. Um, and our message has not changed in 48 years that I've been here. And that's a, that's a fantastic thing. You know, everything changes, it seems, in the world today. Yeah, one of the most intriguing things of this church for me is the emphasis on prophecy and back then we, we, we certainly did a lot of prophecy you know I learned for instance that 30% of the Bible relates to prophecy um, that God has a plan for mankind and that he foretells many events that are now history before they actually happened you know the rise and fall of um, you know the sort of big um, um, you know sort of empires like the Babylonians the Greeks the, uh, the Persians and the Romans in, uh, in Jesus's time you know, the Bible also foretold the, the liberation of Jew, Jerusalem from the Muslim Turks uh, at the end of World War, II, World War I, sorry, even to the very year, month and day 
I mean, that is just astounding. And you can look up those references in Daniel chapter 12, verse 12, and Haggai chapter 2 and verse 18. Actually, to the day. I mean, that is astounding. Way before it actually happened. Amazing. It also foretold the establishment of modern-day Israel after World War II. I mean, it is unheard of for a former country which ceased to exist hundreds of years before in history to be re-established again. It is just unheard of. And yet God foretold it and it happened with Israel. Absolutely astounding. You know, the Bible also details all the conflict and unrest in the world that this would cause as a result of that. You know, the bit that really interested me, though, were the prophecies concerning the return of Jesus Christ to this earth again. You know, back when I first came along, there we, we had Russia, we had the Iron Curtain, we had the Cold War with the US, and, and there was talk of uh, anti-ballistic missiles, you know, able to wipe us out of the pressure, at the press of a button. I mean, that was the sort of talk that was going on in those days. You know, fast forward 48 years, and there's no more Iron Curtain, and the threat with Russia has, has receded a bit, but we still have lots of hotspots of, of wars and conflict, including uh, terrorism, you know, in the Middle East there, and, and that even to our borders. We've had terrorism uh, in this country. The Middle East, it's a mess, and it's impossible to resolve. You know, I can't remember how many roadmaps to peace the US has had, you know, trying to sort of resolve it over the years, all coming to nothing. You know, now we've got the rise of China and its build-up of military power, which is becoming a bit of a worry, I'm sure, for, for many people. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 25, it says, There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Surely signs like, you know, walking on the moon, missions to Mars and other planets plus the many satellites that are now revolving the earth, you know, would be a fulfilment of that prophecy. Surely they would. Also where it says distress of nations with perplexity, you know, that's really talking about huge global social and national and international uh, issues or problems with seemingly no solutions. And we all know what they are, don't we? Things like climate change, things like uh, COVID-19. You know, this is swept throughout the world. Everybody's trying to deal with it. Financial crisis, terrorism, the rise of autocratic nations like Iran and uh, North Korea, natural disasters, earthquakes, floods. They're all seeming to happen all of the time you, when, you, when you turn on your TV. And I believe they fit that prophecy, responding to that prophecy. Verse 26 goes on to say that men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. You know, we know that people's anxiety levels are way up and, and their fears are also way up. You know, what are people to do? We know that there's been a decrease in, uh, in mental health generally and that uh, anti-anxiety medication is uh, on the increase for many people. Interestingly, that word powers of heaven, the word heaven in the Greek comes from a word called Uranus, which is where we get the word uranium from. Is that a coincidence? You know, I think not. Bible prophecy is spot on. The only thing that I know of that causes the, the heavens to be shaken is an atomic bomb. 
You've seen what it, what it does and how terrifying it is. You know, we've got rogue nations like North Korea and, and Iran who seem not to be afraid to, to, uh, to threaten to use these weapons without much provocation. You know, we certainly live in uncertain times. Amen? We certainly do. Matthew 24 is also another uh, prophecy, key prophecy chapter, and I believe it's more relevant today. Verse 3, it says, uh, and, and the disciples came to, uh, to Jesus, saying to him, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So they wanted to know. And they asked Jesus. In verses 6 to 8, they said, you shall, Jesus answered and said, You shall hear of wars, rumours of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. That phrase, beginning of sorrows, if you've got a, King jo if you've got a, um, a New Living Translation, it actually refers to the beginning of sorrows as birth pangs. You know, just as a, a pregnant woman in, in labour knows when the baby is due by the, by the frequency and the intensity of the birth pains, the return of the Lord also is going to be preceded by more intense and more frequent events that we just read about. You know, and I believe they're happening today. And they are accelerating, it seems to me. In verse 36, it says of that same chapter, it says, But of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. I mean, we don't know exactly when the Lord's going to return. We really don't. And the Bible tells us that. So I believe we have to be ready at all times. Verse 37 says, It will be just like it was in Noah's day. People going about their normal everyday activities right up to when the rains began to fall and Noah got into the ark. And then we know the story, many of us. God closed the door of the ark and... There was no more refuge for anyone on the earth at that time and they all perished, those that were outside the ark. So in the same manner, as these scriptures are telling us, in verse 42 it says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. Jesus encourages us, that's you and me, his followers, to be keeping an eye out, to be, to be vigilant. That's what we need to be doing, so doing, on the job for the Lord. Living our testimony, walking in the spirit by faith and being lights in a dark place. If we're so doing, if we're so using our gifts and, and the talents that the Lord has given us, he'll say to us, as it says a little bit later in the next chapter in Matthew 25 and verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter ye into the joy of the Lord. And I'm sure we want to all hear Jesus say that to us. Amen? Absolutely we do. It's the whole hope of our calling, isn't it? That we're going to move into eternity with the Lord. So how can we be good and faithful servants in the context of his return? Jesus goes on in Matthew 25 and he gives two parables to illustrate his particular point. One of them's about ten virgins and the other is about talents he gives us and... Uh, and being faithful for with what we've been given. And I thought today, just as, a, as a, an exercise, we'd do a little brief uh, Bible study of, uh, of the ten virgins, the parable. But before I get started, I really need to give you some background about Jewish weddings. 
back in the Middle East at the, at the time of, uh, of Jesus. They're quite different from Western, Western weddings. When couples get married, they don't immediately go away on a honeymoon. They stay at the bride's parents' place for at least a week and they keep open house and, and they're treated like royalty with uh, lots of festivities and uh, drinking and eating and so on with friends and family. At the end of that week, the bridegroom goes away, then he returns at a secret time uh, with great ceremony and pomp and, uh, and takes his bride to his house. So that's how it happens. And it's done usually at night time with family and friends present. And, you know, it's a great time of celebration and uh, excitement. So now we're going to look at the, uh, uh, the parable in, in Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13, um, and we'll also now hopefully understand why they needed lamps for the bridegroom. You know, Jesus often used everyday events that people were very familiar with to, uh, to explain some very important truths, spiritual truths to us. So let's go and have a look at this verse in Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. I'll just read it out quickly. <clears throat> then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened to ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. It's an interesting uh, parable, isn't it? I guess obviously the moral of the parable is to be watching and to be ready spiritually, waiting for the Lord's return. You know, he's not going to be coming back as a, as a helpless baby in a manger this time. The Bible says he's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords in great power and great glory. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 1 to 4 tells us he's, he's going to be coming back like a thief uh, in the night when people are not expecting him. So we can't, you know, we've got to be ready all the time. That's the encouragement. They warn us to be vigilant, these scriptures and, and many others in, the, in, uh, in other areas. And in Matthew 25 there about being faithful and wise, so doing the Lord's work. You know, as spirit-filled Christians... You know, we've received a, a fantastic gift from the Lord, haven't we? It's the Holy Spirit. It gives us salvation. You know, we are greatly blessed, aren't we? I mean, are we appreciating that gift? Are we excited about the Lord's uh, return? Do we have this sort of sense of uh, urgency? Or maybe are we a bit lukewarm and saying things, obviously not consciously, but maybe our attitude's such, that's saying things like, I'll sort myself out one day, maybe not right now. I'm kind of busy with work, with house, with hobbies, etc. I'll get around to it and get involved one day when I, have more to, when I have more time. Beware, Jesus is saying. You know, when I came along 48 years ago, I thought the Lord's return was imminent. You know, and we we're all excited and we we're thinking, oh, maybe he's going to come back tonight. 
You know, that was the sort of you know, general feeling that, that most of us had at that time. How much closer is it today? 48 years down the track. Jesus calls us to be watching and praying and looking forward to that day of his return. You know, the prophecy, as I said, are telling us that the, that the birth pangs are getting more intense and closer together. So we need to be on guard. So let's look at a bit more detail in this uh, particular parable. In verse 1, the kingdom of heaven, in the context of, uh, of what Jesus was talking about with his return, I believe he's returning for his followers. That's what the parable is illustrating. When we're going to be able to rule the world in great power and glory with, uh, with Jesus. I mean, in the Lord's Prayer, we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So it's the same sort of thought that one day the Lord's going to come back and we're going to move into eternity with him. The ten virgins, you know, ten followers of Jesus, I believe they represent. Those who have kept themselves pure and undefiled by the world. Pure and chaste spiritually. Expecting to go into eternity with Jesus. Surely Jesus is talking about you and I, his spirit-filled followers. The Bible says we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's Jesus. Our sins are forgiven when, it, when we're spirit-filled. We're made, we're made pure and holy. We're set apart for the Lord. We keep ourselves spiritually clean by walking in the Spirit, serving the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, Paul speaks about spirit-filled followers being presented as chaste virgins to Christ. That's you and I. I don't believe this parable is talking about unbelievers who I think you'll agree are neither chaste nor, uh, nor virgins, spiritually speaking. Verses 2 and 3 talk about five virgins were wise, they had extra oil for their lamps, and five were foolish, who only had what was in their lamps and, and, and it was in danger of running out with none spare. So what are lamps? So they're used figuratively in the Bible, and, uh, and depending on the context, they can represent the Holy Spirit, they can represent the word of God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. We all know that scripture. They can represent churches, which are the seven churches in, in Revelations there. Or they can be the spirit of natural man, which is what it says in Proverbs chapter 20. In this instance, I believe they represent the spirit of man. In order for the lamps to give, or to give light, however, they need oil. The Bible says that mankind is in sin and darkness which happened when sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we become lights in a dark and sinful world. Our lamps are lit by the oil of the Holy Spirit. The oil represents that Holy Spirit that, that we received. And the bridegroom, of course, as it says in the end of that parable, the Son of Man, is Jesus himself. So I think it all sort of comes together. So if we accept that the the lamp is someone who's been filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, shining brightly um, you know, for the Lord when supplied with the oil of the Holy Spirit. So what is a lamp when, it, when the oil gets low? Giving very little light or it goes dim. I mean, God doesn't take away the Holy Spirit once it's given. But each day we make a choice to follow the Lord and be led by the Spirit or to do our own thing. It's a choice. God doesn't force himself on us. If we're not valuing the Holy Spirit, if we neglect the Spirit or we go back to our old sinful lives, our human nature can quench the Spirit that's inside us. 
and we stop burning brightly. We need a continual supply of that oil of the Spirit each day to burn brightly. Otherwise, our lamps are going to grow dim and cease, and we cease being a testimony. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, it tells us as followers that we are to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That's the world. That's, that's what we see outside. That's what we interact with every day. Verse 4 in the, in the parables, the five wise virgins had extra oil in their vessels so they didn't run out and that made all the difference. In like manner, we as spirit-filled Christians need a constant supply of the Holy Spirit in our human vessels, continually topping us up as we serve the Lord and each other day, day by day. Jesus is our high priest, ministering to us daily, correcting us, keeping us pure spiritually so that our lights are shining brightly and we grow in faith. How do we do that? How do we shine brightly? By praying in the Holy Spirit, reading the word of God, being involved in the church, serving the Lord and each other and using the gifts and the talents that he's given us day by day. That ensures that that oil is topped up and it doesn't ever run low. Amen? You know, we are to be really on the job Verse 5, while the bridegroom delayed his return, they all slept. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We all need sleep. I guess the exhortation here is not to be spiritually asleep. You know, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 6 to 8, it says, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. That means not to sleep in a spiritual sense. Rather, watch and be sober. That means free of intoxicants. You know, things which can affect our judgment. Verse 8, putting on the breastplate of, of faith and love and the helmet, the hope of salvation. That simply means walking in the Holy Spirit. You know, being a, a light in a dark place. You know, let's not let the return of the Lord catch us unprepared or distracted or maybe even a bit fearful, but rather full of faith and in great anticipation. Amen? Absolutely. You know, verse 6, at midnight, the bridegroom comes. You know, midnight, that's, they, they say that's the darkest time of the, uh, of the night. I, I guess in the context of, uh, uh, of Jesus Christ's return, it's a dark time for humanity, the end of the age. And, and we know that there's going to be great conflict leading up to the return of, uh, of Jesus Christ. We talk about Armageddon and so on. We know that there's another great and, and terrible um, event that took place in the Old Testament in the, uh, uh, way back there at midnight and that was the Passover when the angel of death um, passed over those who had the blood of the, the lamb painted on their doorposts and they were saved and the ones that didn't, their, their firstborn child uh, died. It was a terrible, uh, terrible time, a terrible lesson. So Jesus is sending us a warning here to his church, which comprises the wise and the foolish. Wake up. Be alert spiritually. The Lord is returning soon and we need to be ready. Romans 13 and verse 11 says to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. It's 48 years closer than when I first came along. And no doubt others are in similar situations. Verse 7 says that the, the virgins trimmed their lamps. The lamps are trimmed of uh, black soot 
and, and carbon to reduce the smoke and keep the lamps burning brightly. In the Old Testament, that was done by the high priest, um, you know, with the candelabra that was in the uh, tabernacle and then subsequently in the, um, uh, in the temple. In the New Testament, Jesus is our high priest and he is ministering to us daily, trimming our lamps, you know, correcting us, exhorting us, guiding us, keeping us pure so that we shine brightly, so that our testimony is really before all men. So they ask us a reason for the hope that is within us. In Revelation chapters 1 to 3 there, talks about the seven churches and the candlesticks or the, or the lamps and they're exhorted to be not, forgiving, not forgetting their first love, overcoming daily, being hot and fervent, not lukewarm and on the job for the Lord. You know, it's not just a message for the churches, folks. It's a message for us also, individually, in our own walks, for us to examine ourselves. You know, in Luke 12 and verse 35, in the context of the Lord's return, it says, to have our loins girded and our lamps burning brightly. You know, in those days they used to wear robes or, or cloaks, and having your loins girded means to tuck them up so that your legs are free and you're ready to go at a moment's notice. Maybe today that would mean, you know, having your, your batteries in your torch and, uh, and your iPhone charged, that sort of thing. You know, in a spiritual sense, it's being ready for the Lord. Matthew 5 verse 16 says, Let your lights shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. So that's the testimony that we want, isn't it? And asking the question regularly, you know, in our, in our prayer times, is part of being a wise servant and being vigilant, asking the Lord to top us up regularly so that we are ready, so that our lamps are burning brightly. Verse 8 of the, back to the parable, the foolish said our lamps are gone out. If you've got a New King James Version, it actually says are going out. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man uses it up. The warning here is for each of us, each and every one of us, to seek the Lord individually in our daily walk. You know, no one else can do that for us. Not our parents, not our pastors, not our house leaders. We have to do it. And the cost of that oil is total surrender of our lives to Jesus. Handing our lives over to the Lord. Daily prayer, reading the word of God, walking by faith, fellowship with our brethren, serving God and each other. You know, this is how the Lord tops us up. Let's not squander our gift. You know, it's a personal walk with the Lord every day. We make the choice. Sort things out if they're not right in our lives. Now. Do it now. Don't put things off for another day. We don't want to be like the, the, wise, foolish, the five wise, foolish virgins that went off to get additional oil and then they missed out when the Lord came back. We want to be faithful servants we want to be wise servants full of the holy ghost burning brightly and we will go into the marriage with the lord and all that that entails you know the closest relationship possible with the lord for all eternity what a hope we have what a blessing verse 10 the door was shut god shuts the door like he did in noah's day you know it's going to be too late then for us to say oh i'm going to get myself right with the lord now I'll sort myself out. We need to do that now. Fix it. 
while we're in a time of grace. Verse 12, I know you not. Jesus speaking to the, uh, the foolish virgins who'd gone off and got their oil and then missed out. Maybe that's someone who's been a bit careless with their salvation. Those who've not valued their relationship with the Lord. Maybe they've fallen away. Matthew 24 and verse 51 describes the terrible fate of the uh, unfaithful servant. You know, talks about being cut off, talks about gnashing of teeth, talks about weeping. It's, it's really strong stuff. We don't want to go there. Amen? Amen? We definitely don't want to go there. <laughs> you know, the Lord takes um, stewardship, a servant, being a servant, being a follower, very seriously. And I'm asking the question, do we? Let's be wise. Not only allowing ourselves to become heart, heart, half-hearted or doing things out of habit instead of full of fervour for the Lord. You know, the Lord's return, really, when you think about it, I mean, we talked about the prophecy and all the rest of it, but it's as close as our death, isn't it? You know, you go to sleep in the Lord, and the next thing you know, you wake up and it's, you know, you're in the Lord's presence. We could get hit by that proverbial bus. So let's not allow ourselves to become complacent in our walk. In Romans 13 and verse 14, it says, Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You know, when we put on Christ each day, we are choosing to walk in the Spirit. It's just like when you put your clothes on in the morning. Most of us pay attention to what we look like. And, um, you know, when you go out the front door in the morning and you want clothes that are comfortable and unrestrictive, you know, they breathe, um, hopefully more than just daggy old tracky dacks. You know, you want something that's going to be comfortable and moves with you. So putting on Christ is the same idea. It's being comfortable with him, inviting him into every part of our lives on a daily basis. You know, he goes with us to church, goes with us to the movies, which we can now sort of go to uh, now that COVID-19's uh, the next level of restrictions are there, um, to the shops, to dinner, to work, to, to the school, to the gym, everywhere we go, Jesus is coming with us. Are we inviting him? He is Lord of all. Can we say that? Some people may say, well, you know, if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, does that mean we are wrong to believe that he could come back any minute? Maybe we might live a whole life and, and Jesus doesn't come back. Is it a bad thing to live in readiness, to meet God, to serve God, to refuse to drink alcohol, avoid immorality or arguments and try to walk as closely as you can with Jesus and to be a testimony? That's what the context of this verse in Romans 13 about, um, you know, putting on Jesus and putting off the works of darkness means. Is that a negative no, I don't believe it is. I believe it's a very much a positive, being ready to serve the Lord. I want to re be ready to meet him. I want to know whether Jesus comes today, tomorrow, or whenever. I could easily go with him. If we're ready like that, then we don't have to walk around in doubt or fear or anxiety. And the final verse that I wanted to, to mention is in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. 
where Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you think that's a really strange verse. It doesn't mean that somehow or other Christians have a, have a death wish or go, go around saying, I hope I die today when we get up in the morning. What it means is if we do die today and there's that proverbial bus again that I mentioned could, could hit us. If I do die today or tomorrow or whenever, we'll be ready to meet the Lord and don't have to be worried. We don't have to worry or be afraid. If he comes for us, we'll be ready. If we go to him, we'll be ready. Whenever. Ready is such a, a very happy way to live. Amen? Ready to meet the Lord. That's keeping our lamps burning brightly and fully topped up. Ready to go into the marriage feast for Jesus with eternity and, and eternity. What a blessing. I'm sure we'd all want that. Of course we do. Amen? So let's do it, folks. Let's be ready. Let's be fired up, our lamps shining brightly. Amen.